the name of the parasha is Vayishlach, sponsored by friends of David Wicksall in his memory. Lilui Nishmat David ben Mordechai Shmuel Zal. Yaakov, this is the story. This parasha tells the story of Yaakov coming back to Eretz Yisrael. Yaakov was in Padan Aram, and a lot of interesting things happened to him there in Chutzlaretz. He was married, he had wives, he had children, he had flocks. I mean, all, it's all very, it's a very interesting story. Not a story that is entirely understandable, but it's an interesting story. And then he comes back to Eretz Yisrael. When he comes back to Eretz Yisrael, he meets up with his brother, who um, comes with a small army, and, some, and, and they are um, antagonistic. But somehow it works out that Yaakov is able to stay and that Esav departs, you know, leaves the place of the confrontation and Yaakov kind of proceeds. So that's where we're starting. We're starting to look at the parasha when the confrontation is over. So in the first source it says, Perek Lamed Gimel Vayashov Vayom Hu Esav Lidarko Seira. Asaf goes away. He goes away. Lidarko Seira. Seira is. There's a sheet someplace. Oh, hi. Anyway, Asaf leaves the, leaves the story. He's no longer in the story. And Yaakov is alone, right, coming back to Eretz Yisrael. So, Pasuk Yudzayin. Let's look at the Rashi. Vayashov vayomahu Esav lidarko, Esav levado, vabamot ishalchu imon, nishmitu me'etzlo echad echad. So Rashi takes note of the fact that even though 400 people came with Esav, Esav seems to be leaving on his own. Right, he's leaving alone. Nishmitu me'etzlo echad echad. They kind of fell away. There was no war. There was no battle. And Esau came with an army, but he left alone. The army had no purposes. And then there's a medrash, which I don't want to get into. Right? Heichan paralahem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu made David. David was fighting against Amalek. Shneemar ki im abamot ish Nar asher echbu al hagemalim that there were 400, 400 people on the on the side of Amalek. So so there's some kind of comparison here which we can't get into. But Rashi Rashi tells us this, and you have to remember. But I want to go on with Yaakov. Pasuk Yudzayin. Yaakov nasa Sukota. Yaakov went to a place called Sukot. Yaakov nasa Sukota. Vayiven lo bayit. Ulemiknehu asa Sukkot. So, and his, he, bought, he built himself a house. This is the Pasuk in the Chumash. I mean, everybody looks like uh, querulous, like you've never heard of this Pasuk. But it's there, it's been there for years. Right? So Yaakov, Yaakov again, well, like, what's the scene? Yaakov and Esau confronting. 
somehow that confrontation ended. Remember, Yaakov fought with the angel and he hurt his leg and uh, all these kind of stories. And then Esau rides off into the dust. Now, Yaakov is left. So he goes to a place that we don't know about. Right? But Yaakov Nasar, Sukkota. He went to a place called Sukkot. By even lo bayit. Bayit sounds like something permanent. Uh, Sukkah is usually uh, something that has a, something for shade. That's Sukkah. The Gemara says Al Shem It's the it's the thing that covers you. What you want when you build a Sukkah is that you want shade. You want shade. You know that the the, the laborers out in the field. If you ever see the people. Let's take a tour to see people work. Like now it's all digital and computers, right? There's nobody who works anymore. You know, bank, bank loomy, they fired 700 people because they replaced them by machines. Uh, okay, so but if you ever see people working out in the field, you know, or I can see a, a movie of people working. So they usually, they need a place with shade because you can't just stay out in the sun all the time. So that's a sukkah. That's a sukkah. A halachic sukkah is curious because it demands defanot, walls, right? A, a non-halachic sukkah, the kind of sukkah you find out in the field, usually has schach, but no defanot, right? Does not have, does not have defanot. So he says, because he built a lot of Sukkot for his flocks, they named it Sukkot. So even though it says in the Pasuk, the Yaakov Nasa Sukkota, it's like deja vu. Like the Pasuk was written, or the formulation was made after Yaakov did whatever he did in this place that he went to, which he named eventually Sukkot. What does Rashi say? Vayiven lo bayit. Shayasham shmona asar cholesh. He was there 18 months. Kayetz v'chorev v'kayetz. Right? Sukkot kayetz. Bayit chorev. Sukkot kayetz. And you assume each, each part of the year is a half a year. So he went for... Okay? So there we have a story. I mean, this story doesn't relate to anything that we know about him. I mean, who cares that he was a Sukkot, that he built Sukkot, that he had flocks, that he put them in the shade? I mean, what what has this got to do with the exalted notion of learning Torah, right? Certainly, uh, we're like left, it's the question is a question. Pasuk Yudchet, Vayavo Yaakov, Shalem Ir Shechem. And here we have Yaakov. Two things we say about Yaakov. Shalem and Vayavo Ir Shechem. Right? He is Shalem and he came to Shechem. Let's just look at the Rashi before we speculate. Shalom. Shalem, sorry. You see Pasuk Yudchet in the Rashi? Shalem Begufo Mitzliato. He he was cured somehow. He stopped limping. He got to he got to wherever he was going to, in this case is it's Shechem, uh, uh, and he no longer is limping. Shalem b'mamano, shelochaseklu mikol otodoran. You see, he never gave all that stuff to Esav that he prepared. Remember, he prepared himself. 
with Tvilah, with Daron, and with Milchama. That's how he prepared himself for Esau. So he had all this stuff, you know, like wrapped up. His presents and stuff, and wrapped up a nice presentation. He never gave it to him. So he was Shalem bin Mamono. He still had all the money that he came with. All the stuff he, that he sent? Came with. The stuff he sent in advance? No, no, no. He had prepared it. He prepared himself to give Asaph a payoff in exchange for him not attacking him. Right? You know, as he said, you know, Tfilah, Doron, Milchama. He prepared himself, but he never gave him anything. There's no posik that says he gave him anything, so he was shalem b'mamano. That's what Rashi said. What, wasn't that the, 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 the flocks? What? That's the right, flocks. the flocks. So couldn't you say that Rashi is saying that, that he gave them all the animals, and lo chaser, meaning that since a, a year elapsed during that, maybe there was enough procreation among his own flock that they made up That's for the loss. Okay, could be. It could be that somehow, but the, but the point is that he didn't give him anything. Either he gave him and he got it back, or he right. gave him and it to his grow on the spot or something, but he didn't lose anything he on the deal. He was shalem. He had as much as he had before, and then shalem betorato. This is a new one. Right? That was, we know about tefillah, doron, and milchama. But here Rashi says, Rashi is publicizing. Uh, an event that we never heard about. Shalem betorato, shaloshachach talmudo bebeit lavan. So that 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 this idea of shalem is not only about his relationship to Esav; it's about the life of Yaakov. That Yaakov comes back to Eretz Yisrael, like you say, like who is Yaakov? It's like if, I, if somebody asked that question, who is Yaakov? Well, Yaakov was the son of Yitzchak, who was the son of Abraham. So what was it that made Yaakov the son of Yitzchak? What was it that made Yaakov the son of Abraham? So the only answer that we could conjure up is Torah. Torah, that doesn't necessarily mean the Chamishah Chumshei Torah and Rashi, but it means that just like just like uh, the Chazal say that uh, the Avot kept all the mitzvot, or they knew what God wanted, or they intuited how it was uh, how it was supposed to be. So all of that, all of those possibilities, all of those possibilities are called Torah. All of that is called Torah. So Rashi says, Shalem Lavan. This has nothing to do with Esau, but this has to do with Shalem, like like. When is a person, a person shalem? When is a person, uh, 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 person shalem? Now this is really abnormal because if you remember that the idea of memory, I think we've talked about it, the idea of memory connected to Torah is a very significant idea. And that the Torah itself emphasizes again and again that you should not forget the Torah that you learned. That not learning Torah is bad. And forgetting Torah, it sounds like, is worse. So I say, who was Yaakov Avinu? Like, what was it that Yaakov Avinu accomplished in his life until then, which is remarkable and noteworthy? It was not that he was rich, and it was not that he escaped the clutches of Esau, because those things are irrelevant to us. What does it matter to us? What, what happened to, to Esau, but the idea to Yaakov, the idea that Yaakov escaped Shechicha, 
He escaped the scourge of forgetfulness. That's very remarkable. That's very remarkable. We didn't say that. No one said that about Abraham, and no one said that about Yitzchak. The oh, Rashi says it only about only about Yaakov, and that really the purpose of the word shalem is to tell us this. To tell us this idea. It was the fact that he limped or he didn't limp or he limped and that he got better. I mean. Like what's, what do we get from that? What do we inherit? What idea is contained in that? The fact that he had as much money now as he had when he left, uh, when he left Padan Aram, okay, that's also great. If he had a little more, a little less, I mean, what difference does it make to us? But that he overwhelmed the problem of Shikicha, that is an interesting and exciting idea. That all the time he was in the house of Lavan, he did not forget any of the Torah that he learned. And in this way, Rashi distinguishes Yaakov. And you know that in the Kabbalah, the Kabbalah, uh, uh, Abraham is Chesed, and Yitzchak is Gvura, and Yaakov is Tiferet, and Tiferet is Torah. The first Torah somehow. Esau became Torah. Somehow, can I unrecord that? Somehow, Yaakov became Torah. Yes, Yaakov became Torah. So, so here he is. Here's Rashi. Rashi made Yaakov an Isha Torah. And what is it that made Yaakov an Isha Torah? Shaloshachach. He didn't forget anything that he that he learned, and that becomes. A challenge. That becomes a challenge, an ongoing challenge, right? Why I don't like Dafyomi. Because for me, learning Dafyomi is more or less like forgetting as you do it. <laughs> but you know, it's like it's like automatic forgetting machine. And forgetting is a bad thing. Forgetting is a bad thing. And everybody can remember a little more. Like if you go over it, you know, the Gemara says that, that if you go over it a uh, hundred times, It'll be better the hundred first time. So, uh, so people will well, say we don't have patience for that, but uh, but it's it's probably true, very true that the more you review, the more you know, and you don't have time for that if you do that yomi. So then after that, after Shalem, right? He came to Ir Shechem. He came to Ir Shechem. Kimola Ira, she says, to the city called Shechem. So. What do you mean he came to the city of Shechem? So this, I, I, I can't avoid, I can't avoid thinking. If you look at the third source on the page, right? The third source on the page, Breshit Perakut Bet. Vaikach Avram et Sarai Ishto. This is the beginning of Lech Lecha. The beginning of Lech Lecha. Vaikach Avram et Sarai Ishto et Lot ben Achiv ve kol Chusham asher achshu is Avraham. He's got his family with him. And he has his rechush, kol rechusham, right? The emphasis, all of his property, all of his riches, asher achashu, v'etanefesh asher asu b'charan, v'etzu lechet arza kenan, v'evo arza kenan. Now, it's very hard to avoid the comparison between Avraham and Yaakov. Right? Abraham, family, money, 
directive going to Eretz Yisrael, Yaakov. He has his family, right? His wives, his children, his money, and his Torah. And he's on his way, he's on his way someplace, right? They go to Eretz Arzakinan, Pasuk Vav. Vayavor Avram Ba'eretz Ad Mikom Shechem. So there you have it. Avraham, the first thing he did when he came to Eretz Yisrael was to go to Shechem. Now Yaakov, it is true, does not go directly to Shechem. He makes a stopover, stop off, stopover. He stops in a place which is eventually called Sukkot, but a place that was no place. Because before he was there, it didn't have a name. And if he didn't have a name, it didn't really exist. So if you have flocks and, and family and this, and you're used to kind of a Bedouin type of lifestyle, so you set yourself up someplace. And you do, so he did it. He did it for 18 months. He did that for 18 months until he moved on to a real place. And the name of the real place was Shechem. So it seems to me, it seems to me that comparing Avram Avinu coming to Eretz Yisrael and Yaakov coming back to Eretz Yisrael, comparing the two of them is reasonable. It's, very, it's a very reasonable kind of, of thing. So also it's very reasonable. Uh, just one second. Admakom Shechem. You see by Pasuk Vav in the Rashi? Let's look at the Rashi. Pasuk Vav in the Rashi. It's under the Chumash, right? Under the Psukim is Rashi. He went into Eretz Yisrael, Avram Avinu, Ad Mekom Shechem, Let Palel Al Bnei Yaakov Shiavo Lilachem Bishchem. To Davin, for the sons of Yaakov, that are going to have a, to do a battle. Remember the story that Dina was, uh, uh, got into trouble with... Uh, in Shechem, and her brothers, Shimon Velevi, uh, fought against the Shechemites after they agreed to circumcise themselves. And, uh, and th th that battle itself was, uh, was problematic because Yaakov, the father of Shimon Velevi, was against them going to do battle against the people in Shechem. But, but here, Rashi is concerned about this question. Why did Avram Avinu go to Shechem? Why didn't Avram Avinu go to Yerushalayim? Why didn't he go to Ir HaYivusi? Why didn't he go to Har HaMoriyah? What Shechem? Why go to Shechem? So Rashi created an operative need for Avram Avinu going to Shechem. Right? And that need was that Abraham Avinu uh, perceived, understood, knew, prophesied that there would be a problem for the children of his children, the children of the children of the children, uh, uh, his, right, Yaakov's children, there would be a problem in Shechem, and there would be a battle that would be fought. So Abraham Avinu went to Davin for the children of the children of the children, who would do battle in Shechem. Now that leads us to think, like you have to think, like what, what is the davening for exactly? 
What is he davening for exactly? He's davening, I guess, that they should not be, that they should win, that they should, uh, uh, you know, I mean, Yaakov, Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov, his grandson, was against them. Did not want them to go and do what they did in Shechem. And here's Avram Avinu fighting on their, on their behalf. So this problem of what meaning is there in what the Avot do is taken up by the Ramban in three different places. The Ramban, in his introduction to the parish on the Torah, the Ramban wrote, wrote a very long introduction that is printed in all the Chumashim Mikraot Gedolot and in the editions of the Ramban. In it's, it's, it's an introduction to the Torah, really. What is the Torah? And in the introduction to the Torah, he asked that question. Now Rashi, Rashi, the beginning of his parish on Bereshit, Rashi asked the question, how come the Torah doesn't start with mitzvot? Why should the Torah start with, with theology or philosophy or ideology and the formation of Am Yisrael? After all, what the generations need is the mitzvot. That's what God wants of us. So why doesn't the Torah start, this is Rashi, why doesn't the Torah start from HaKodesh HaZelachem, the first mitzvah that was given to B'nai Yisrael as a community? Now even though it is true, it is true that according to the Rambam, according to the Rambam, just like just the, the thinking, right? It's like, so, the, so I'm mentioning things. The Rambam says that we don't keep mitzvot because they're written in the Torah. We keep mitzvot because they were taught to us at Har Sinai. So that even though the mit, there's a mitzvah of pru uruvu, right, to be fruitful and multiply in the parashah of Breshit, that for us is not a mitzvah. Even though Avram Avinu and his children and the people in his camp all were circumcised, we don't circumcise our children because of the fact that Avram Avinu circumcised his family. We circumcise the children because it's a mitzvah, that's, it's in the Torah. That's why we do it. And mitzvot come from Sinai. So sometimes there's, a mitzvah, there's what looks like a mitzvah in the Torah that comes before Har Sinai. And then it has to be repeated at Sinai in order for it to be a bona fide, a bona fide uh, uh, mitzvah. It has to be. It has to be. Uh, it has to be repeated. That's what. Uh, that's what we understand. That's what we understand. So the Ramban, the Ramban says, in spite of that fact. In spite of the fact that we don't learn, we don't really learn mitzvot from uh, the Torah of the Book of Breshit, nevertheless, we might learn hanhagotavot, um, uh, the way to be, the way the, what we call that today, maybe mar morality or ethics, which in our times, in, in our generation, it's like really problematic. I mean, things that, that for many years were considered to be, by most people or by many people, 
to be the proper way to do things, you know, all called into question today. And it's very difficult for a lot of people to determine for themselves what they should do in particular, in a particular uh, case. But the Ramban says, Ramban said, look, if Avram Avinu practiced hastasat orchim, if he invited the three angels, you know, who were hanging around, said, come on in, even though I'm in pain and I'm sick, I mean, come on, I want to give you, I want to honor you and, and, and give you a place in my home and feed you. So we learned something from that, the Ramban said. It's not exactly, it's not so much the mitzvah of Hachmasat Orchim, but it's the kind of style, the way you do it. And the the the, uh, the alacrity with which Avram Avinu and the other Avot fulfilled the divine the divine command. So that's what the Ramban says in uh, in the Hakdama. Uh, of course, the actual amount of material that you could glean that is moral and ethical in value is very small compared to the number of psukim in the book of Breshit. I mean, there are a lot of stories in the book of Breshit. And uh, it, it, it remains unclear what you need all of that material for if what we were interested in learning is, you know, like an ethical way of doing things or a, a, a respectful way of addressing uh, 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 an issue. Uh, that's the Ramban in the Hakdama. Now, the Ramban also wrote, he wrote a long drasha called Torah Hashem Tmimah, that's what it's called. A long, it's like a, what would I call it in English? It's, it's like a, another way, it's a drasha about Torah, just like the introduction to his commentary on the Chumash is about the Torah. This is a separate little pamphlet that he wrote also about the Torah, but there he says something else. There he says something else. He says that, that one of the things that you have to recognize about God that we are kind of directed to recognize about God is that God created the world. Now, of course, this is problematic. I mean, how am I supposed to know that God created the world? Um, after all, uh, after all, I wasn't there. So the way that I know that God created the world is because the Torah told me says Breshit bara lukim at the Shabbai Vadaris. The Torah says that God created the world. But the Ramban adds to that, that there is an independent source of knowledge that God created the world. And that independent source of knowledge is Noah. The Ramban says, I mean, I think it's very interesting, but I, I, we just can't get into it right now. But it says Noah. Why Noah? because God destroyed the world with the flood, right? But then the world recovered, the waters receded, and Noah went out and he planted and he did and he acted and he acted well, he acted poorly, but he was there at the creation of the world. He was there at the creation of the world. Now Noah, Noah knew Avram Avinu somehow, according to Chazal. So that means that the knowledge that God created the world really comes from Noah, who was passed down from Noah into the Avot, into, so that we can know that God created the world, according to the Ramban, just like we know anything else, you know, the things that somebody tells us, somebody who was there, 
tells us somebody who's there passes it down from the family, father to son to father to son. That that's how we know. That's the second the second uh, source for the Ramban. The third source for the Ramban is this Ramban that we're going to look at right now. What does the Ramban say? You see, You see the Ramban. The Ramban says, I want to tell you a rule of interpretation, exegesis. I'm going to tell you something which will enable you to understand why there are a vote. Like, what do, what do we need a vote for? Why can't we just start Jewish history from Moshe Rabbeinu? I mean, after all, Moshe Rabbeinu took us out of Egypt, brought us to Now we got the Torah. That seems like a good beginning. What do we have to know about the difficulties that Avram Avinu had in Chutzlar, how he got to Eretz Israel, and the naivete of Yitzchak, and the, 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 the renewed efforts of Yaakov to come back to Eretz Israel. What do we have to know all that for? What does, it, what does it mean? What does it matter? Why not just start at it? We just make the beginning at a different place. We'll make the beginning at Moshe Rabbeinu. Ramban doesn't say that, but that's what I, I think he means. It means you, you know, how do you know when the beginning is? I mean, the beginning should be valuable. It should give you something. What do we get from Avram Yisrael? Yeah, okay. They were tzaddikim, they were good people, they were this, and they did nice things. But, but Am Yisrael, the story of Am Yisrael, just like the first mitzvah. Oh, that's what I wanted to tell you about. The first mitzvah, Rashi says, it's a chodesh azelachem, kiddush chodesh, right? But it's really not a mitzvah because it's before Matan Torah, according to the Rambam. So, okay, so you have to think about that. You have to think about that. But there's no doubt, there's no doubt that, uh, that Matan Torah, that Har Sinai, that's the main thing. That's the main part of the story. What, what, what is Avra, how did Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov get into the story at all? So listen to what he has to say. He says, "Vehu inyan gadol." This is a big deal. Iskiruhu raboteinu b'derek tzara. It's mentioned in Chazal, but it's mentioned in a kind of brief statement. And what is that brief statement? V'yamru. It's quoted here in the Tanchuma in Lech Lecha. Kol mashe irala avot siman lebanim. Kol mashe irala avot siman lebanim. Therefore, the psukim written in the Torah will speak at length about the trips that they took, digging wells that they did, in was what the Ramban is saying. Without this principle that Ma'ase Avot Siman Lebanim, you have a lot of stories in the Torah that are trivial, that are totally unimportant. And he points to, he points in fact to Masaot, uh, Sipur Masaot, the trips that Avram went from here to there, and Yitzhak went from there to here, and they went to Egypt, they came back from Egypt with the land of Plishtim, they came back with the land of Plishtim. Okay, 
And if we didn't know that, we would be bad people, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't recognize our uh, obligations. I mean, what difference does it make? What difference does it make that Avram had trouble with wells, and had trouble with Lot, and had trouble, and Yitzchak had troubles with the wells, and Yaakov couldn't get along with his brother. I mean, all of this, all of this is totally unnecessary. It's totally unnecessary facing the, the obligations of, of mitzvot. So the Ramban says, Shar HaMikrim. You see, Shar HaMikrim, the Hebrew word Mikre, means accident. Like, like philosophical term. An accident is something that happens unplanned, not by design. Not that, you know, you, you just things happen all the time. Like it rains sometimes, so it doesn't rain. That's called a mikre. That's called a mikre. So he says, Shah Mikrim, Shah Mikrim, uh, uh, Abraham, Abraham didn't get along with Lot. Abraham went to, any, to chase after Lot to get him back, to free him. I mean, all these are mikrim. And if you think on it, the Ramban says, you would come to the conclusion that these things have no purpose. These stories. I mean, why do I have to know what happened? Why do I have to know what Avram Avinu did? Why do I have to know every time Avram Avinu built a Mizbeach? Does that have something to do with me? Am I going to build a Mizbeach? Am I going to sacrifice? I mean, Abraham didn't sacrifice, but am I going to think about it? Let's say I came out Yitzchak. You know, great drama. I mean, you know, we substitute sometimes drama for meaning. So it's so there's a drama. What if I didn't have Akedat Yitzchak? So the rabbis wouldn't have Drashot on Rosh Hashanah. They wouldn't have anything to say. I mean, it's it's asur. You're not allowed to kill another person. And you're certainly not allowed to sacrifice another person. And you're not allowed to sacrifice your son. I mean, what kind of question is that? So what difference would it make to me if I knew the story or I don't, didn't know the story? So that's what the Ramban says. That's what a person would think that these stories are extraneous and have no particular purpose. I don't need a Kedat Yitzchak to know that it's Osir. I go on the street and take it to find a 10-year-old kid and say, are you allowed to sacrifice your brother? And I imagine he'll say no, right, unless he's a wise guy. But today everybody's a wise guy, so you have to ask him another time, so then he'll say, then he'll say no. So that's called, that the Ramban says, the Ramban says, miyutarim ein bahem to'elet. Ein bahem to'elet. And so now he gives the answer. He says, kulam ba'em lelamed al ha'atid. They all come to, all these stories, come to teach me about the future. Ki kasher yavo ha'mikre lenavi mishloshet ha'avot, that whenever something happens to one of the avot, what makes the avot avot? Not because they were biologically several generations before. What makes them avot is they become prototypes for the creation of a nation. 
In other words, if you could say that the nation that was ultimately created had certain characteristics, features, was different, like the nation of B'nai Yisrael was different than other nations in certain regard. Right? In certain regard, like the Gemara says, the Gemara says that, uh, that uh, people, people, Jews, are, uh, are not, are not uh, easily don't ease, I mean, because Barry says it, but I'm trying to figure out a way to say it so it sounds reasonable. That they, they don't get angry easily. Not everybody knows Jews who get angry. But that's what the Gemara, that's what the Gemara says, and the Rabban Paskins La Halacha, that the Jews don't, you know, don't easily, easily get angry. You know, is that, that they have a characteristic. In fact, the Rabban says, the Rabban says, you know, if somebody suggests a shidduch, he doesn't use that word. If somebody suggests a shidduch and then you go the the kala, the suggested kala, goes to the house of a suggested in-laws and they're all fighting and yelling and screaming at each other so the rabbi says, stay away because they're probably not Jewish. <laughs> so like, uh, that's uh, it is a, there's like a characteristic that defines the nature of the people. And that characteristic was, became part of the genetic makeup of Am Yisrael through the avot Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And that's what the Raman, that's what the Raman say, says. Ki kasher yavo amikre lenavi mishloshet ha'avot yitmonein mimenu adavar nigzar l'avot l'zaro. So when a navi learns about what happened to the avot, the navi is able to interpret that this is going to happen, this is going to happen to his generations. Okay? Now I want you to skip. Uh, skip uh, to six lines from the bottom. Six lines to the bottom. Lefikach. You see six lines from the bottom, middle of the line. Lefikach hezika kodesh baruch et Abraham ba'aretz. Therefore, God insisted that Avraham Avinu should be in Eretz Yisrael. Right? Answering the question: When did Eretz Yisrael belong to Bnei Yisrael? When did Eretz Yisrael become the property of Eretz Yisrael? Achrei kibush v'chalukah. Kibush means the physical conquest of the land by Yoshua ben Nun. So if you needed the physical conquest of the land by Yoshua ben Nun, what was Avram Avinu doing in Eretz Yisrael? What was it such a big deal? Avram Avinu was in Haran. Yes? When God said to him, That's what God said to Avram Why? Why did Avram have to go to Eretz Yisrael if Eretz Yisrael only belongs to the children of Avram Avinu after they conquer the land, after the land is conquered by Yeshua ben Nun. So what exactly was Avram Avinu doing? And then Yitzchak, and then Yaakov, and what were they doing? And when Yitzchak wanted to go to Mitzrayim, when there was a famine in the land, God said to Yitzchak, Gur, Ba'aretz, Hazot, don't go, stay. Well, what was the issue? What was it that he was staying for? And if you ask me, how come Avram Avinu, how come Avram Avinu left Eretz Canaan to go to Mitzrayim when there was a fa- when there was a famine? 
How come he didn't depend on God? So Amravinu could have said, look, if the land belonged to me, I would certainly stay there. I would know that the promise had actually been fulfilled. But since the land doesn't belong to me, it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to all the people who live here. Right? So, so maybe the promise that, or the protection that God would give me would only take place after the kibush of Eretz But now I'm sort of like just a, a guest here. I'm not really permanent. I'm not a permanent resident yet. So if there's a famine, I've got to figure out a way to take care of myself. So look at the, at the Ramban. Refika chachazika kodesh bochot Abraham ba'aretz v'asalo dimyonot v'kol ha'atid le'asot b'zaro v'avein zeh. And therefore, because the, the DNA was established by Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, right? The DNA was established by them. So the Ramban says, let's look at the words. The Therefore, God kept Avram Avinu in Eretz Kenan, made him stay there. Vasalo note, he did things that you can imagine were were going to come up again. That Avram Avinu became Avram and then Yitzchak and then Yaakov became the determining factor, the determining factor in uh, in creating Am Yisrael the way they were, the way they were. So in Shechem, what did Shechem represent for Avram Avinu? Why did Avram Avinu go to Shechem? Because, because Am Yisrael would be proactive. They would do things. They would act on behalf of what they thought was justice. And that's Shimon Levi. And even though there's always this possibility, as Yaakov said, Yaakov said, you know, you, you'll, you'll get the, the ire of all the nations against us. They'll all come after us, which did not happen. Yaakov Avinu was wrong. But that's always the situation when the option of, of going to war exists, right? You never know. You never know how war is going to turn out. You never know how war is going to turn out. Even if it seems to turn out well, it could end up turning out badly. So Avram Avinu went to Shechem. Avram Avinu went to Shechem to take care of a problem because the people that he was, that the genetic influence of Avram Avinu onto his children and grandchildren was proactive. They would do things. They would make things. They would take. They would take things into uh, un, under control. And therefore, Avram Avinu said that tefillah is going to be helpful. That tefillah is going to be helpful. So now, if I look at Yaakov, and I say, why did Yaakov go to Shechem? Why did Yaakov go to Shechem? After all, the tefillah that we're talking about, the event that the tefillah was supposed to be helpful for, well, that has already taken place. Right, that's, you know, what did, I, what did, what did, uh, what did uh, Yaakov go for? I mean, Abraham's tefillah worked for the story of Dina and Shimon and Levi. Why did Yaakov have to go? So you could say, you could say like Yitzchak. Right, you say, why did Yitzchak want to go? There was a ra'av, there was a famine in the land at the time of Yitzchak. He wanted to go to Egypt. Why did he want to go to Egypt? Why did he want to go to Egypt? Because 
he wanted to go to Egypt because his father went to Egypt. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, Yitzchak followed his father uh, devotedly in everything, including Akedat Yitzchak. So when there was Vahira Ambar, it's a time of Yitzchak. So Yitzchak said, my father went, and it was fine. It turned out well. He made money. He had the products. He, he came back to Eretz Canaan. I'll do this. I'll do the same thing. But Yaakov, so we could say that about Yaakov. We could say Yaakov went to Shechem because Abraham went to Shechem. However, however, it's not so obvious. It's not so obvious. But I will tell you a few things, a few things that are good to know about Shechem. Shechem, the city of Shechem, which is a very old city in the land of Canaan, as far as we know, it appears in, uh, in Egyptian documents, you know, that uh, the 20th century BCE, which is pretty old, I think. Shechem. <coughs> what happened in Shechem? Well, I'll tell you one thing that happened in Shechem. After Shlomo HaMelech died, after Shlomo HaMelech died, um, his son, Rechavam, became king. Yes? Does that jog your memory a little bit? Shlomo HaMelech, Rechavam. Rechavam was crowned king, was crowned king in the city of Shechem. In the city of Shechem. Just one second. Was crowned king in the city of Shechem. And I don't know if I have that pasuk here. Okay, it, it, it doesn't matter. You'll believe me. Rechavam, Rechavam was crowned king in the city of Shechem. And it was in the city of Shechem that people came. The city of Shechem is, in, is the Nachalah, belongs to the Nachalah of Ephraim. Right, you remember, I've explained many times, Yerushalayim, the city of Yerushalayim is the halfway mark between the south and the north of Eretz Yisrael. And in the south of Eretz Yisrael, the big tribe is called Yehuda from Yerushalayim and south, right? And Yehuda on the south, the south of the south, is a small tribe called Shimon. And at Yerushalayim, at Yerushalayim is another small tribe called Binyamin. So in the south of Eretz Yisrael, there's Binyamin, Yehuda, and Shimon. And then going north, like Beitel, where Beitel is, that was Ephraim. And on Ephraim, so leading on Ephraim is Menashe, and that was the, those were the big tribes of the north. So Rechavam, Rechavam went to Shechem to be anointed king. And the reason probably that he went to Shechem was because he wanted to get, make sure that, you know, how do you pick a place where you get anointed? Uh, you, you go to a place where you has to be strengthened in your camp. Since the north and the south were like sort of like shaky, they were always shaky. So Rechavam went to the north, further north to become, to be established as a king. And there the people came to Rechavam and they said, we can't take it anymore. We pay tremendous taxes. Uh, you have to lower the taxes. You have to give, let us breathe, and you have to. That's what they said to Rechavam. So Rechavam, who was not a, 
you know, Chavama was apparently not a rocket scientist. He said, what, you think you paid a lot of taxes till now? Now you're really going to pay. Because now we finished the Beit HaMikdash, all I have left is to buy couches for myself. So that's Rechavam. HaKadosh Baruch said to him, no, no, you can't do that, go back. And then they anointed another king, another person, the, the prophet, whose name was Achiyah Shiloni, anointed Yeravam ben Nevat to be the king of the northern part of Yisrael, which had broken away from Rechavam. So that the breakaway, the breakaway took place in the city of Shechem. I mean, that's what I meant to say, that the breakaway took place in the city of Shechem. You also know, you also know that after the Galut of the, of the ten tribes in 722 BCE by Sancheriv, who was the king of Ashur, they brought in, they brought a population into the north. They, they exiled everybody in the north and they brought in another population into the north, into the north uh, from um, Kutim, from the islands in the Mediterranean. And they eventually became known as Samaritans or Shomronim because they lived in the northern part of Eretzrael. The northern part was was emptied out of its Jewish population. And instead, there was this non-Jewish population that was brought in. Eventually, this non-Jewish population um, became the Geirei Arayot, the converts of the lions. There were lions in Eretz Yisrael, in the northern part of the kingdom, who attacked people and the the Shomronim, who were not Jewish and brought in by Sancheriv to kind of just take up, to take up uh, their new lives there, they decided that the reason that the lions are attacking them is because they're not Jews. So they, they decided that they were Jewish. They didn't convert. They just decided that they would be Jewish and they would act like Jews and do the Jewish thing. And therefore, and therefore it was important for them to establish a center of worship. And the center of worship that they established was in Shechem. And they used the, as the points of worship Har Grizim and Har Eval. And you know that when Yoshua ben Nun came to Eretz Yisrael, he went immediately to Shechem to fulfill the, the Torah obligation to do the brachot and the klalot on and, and Grizim and, and Har Eval. So that Shechem, Shechem was the, uh, uh, Shechem was throughout history, um, uh, the focal point of division, of divisiveness, uh, the divisive with, with Dina in the lifetime of Yaakov, and then the Samaritans, and then, I'm sorry, then first, uh, 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 we'll get to Yosef in a second. It's, Yosef is on the sheet, thankfully. So, uh, well, the whole problem with the brothers started in Shechem. Well, that's also true. Also true. 
And in other words, Yaakov sent Yosef to find his brothers. And where did he send them to? Well, he said, just go find them. They were on their way to Shechem. And the, the Pasuk says they were in a place called Dotan, Dotaina, which is next to, which is next to Shechem. And there, there was this the, the terrible uh, uh, divide, division between uh, Yosef and his brothers actually took place. But more interestingly, more interestingly, if you look at the second source on the, uh, on the page, in Yoshua Perikavdalit Pasuk Lamedvet, it says that Yosef You remember that Yosef made them promise that they would bring his bones out of Mitzrayim and bury them in Eretz Israel. So that took place. I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu lived up to that to that promise. So at that smote Yosef Hashem in Mitzrayim, Kavru b'Shechem. I say it again. Kavru b'Shechem. They buried in Shechem. Right, bechelkata sadeh shekana Yaakov meeit bnei chamor avi shechem bemeyak sita vayul bnei Yosef nachala. So Avram Avinu had to buy a nachala in Eretz Kenan in order to bury his wife, or that he would have a place to bury his wife. Again, Yaakov Avinu, following Avram Avinu, following his grandfather bought land in Shechem in order to to have I mean, we didn't say for what purpose but when the Jews took Atmotzi Yosef outside of out of Mitzrayim and brought them to brought the Atzamot to Eretz Kenan they brought them to the place that Yaakov had purchased as though everybody knew that that was the reason that was the reason that, he, that Yaakov purchased the land. Now Yaakov is, has his own story with Eretz Canaan and being buried in Eretz Canaan, but he insisted on being buried right when he died. He died, so Yosef and the brothers took the body to Eretz Yisrael and buried him in the Maratomach Beila. But Yosef was buried for some reason, for some reason in Shechem. Yosef was uh, uh, buried in Shechem, it could be because it all the story started in Shechem. The Yosef story started in Shechem. Yosef was was uh, was became Yosef in Shechem. It was who was Yosef? He was he was the king. He became separate from his brothers. He was an independent. He was an independent actor. So all of that, all of that is uh, is what we see. Is all that is what we see with the with Shechem and Yosef being buried in Shechem and the difficulties that emanated from Shechem. And I don't want to say that uh, nothing has changed uh, in our times, but uh, somebody could say it. Somebody could say it. Somebody probably has. Nothing has changed. Or that nothing changes. Oh, yeah, somebody said it. Very good. Uh, Okay. If you look on the second page, again, I have it, I have it highlighted in my copy here. The second page, the continuation of the Ramban, the first line, the first line in the middle. You see, there's a period. 
And then it says, "Vani Mosif, I want to tell you further. He held on to that place in Eretz Yisrael. That just like Avram Avinu was able to capture some of Eretz Yisrael, he bought it. Where he was able to capture a little bit of Eretz Yisrael before he actually had the, the rights to it. Dear Maslom, he said, the second line, Kibanav Yichbeshu Amakom Ahutchila, Kodem Heyotam Zochimba, Vekodem Heyot Avon Yosheva Aret Shalem, Laglotam Misham. And so Avram Avinu conquered the land. He conquered a piece of Eretz Yisrael, even though the time had not yet come for conquest. Because as all the Rishonim say, uh, conquest would only, it was actually a punishment. It was a punishment of the people who lived in Eretz Canaan. But that punishment only came at the end of the 200 years of slavery of the Jews of Mitzrayim and hadn't come yet. And yet, Avram Avinu as a kind of a prototypical person, like he's acting out the future. He's acting out what will be in the future. So he did that, he did that for, uh, uh, by, by buying land in Eretz Yisrael. And this is, this is repeated by Yaakov. If you look at the first source, right? Pasuk Yotet, Pasuk Yotet, Vayiken, that's the word Kana. Vayiken, he bought at Chelkata Sadeh Sheh Natash Shamo Alo, Right, he bought it. The Torah emphasizes. So he and Avram Avinu were the same. Avram Avinu buried his wife. Yaakov did not bury Yosef in that place. However, he, he uh, caused, but by his own desire to be buried in Eretz Israel, he caused the burial of Yosef to take place in the Chelka, which he, uh, which he purchased at, at that time. Right? By the last Pasuk, Yisrael. He made a Mizbeach. He made a Mizbeach. And a Mizbeach meant, a Mizbeach meant that uh, Avram Avinu and Yaakov they built Mizbechot on the place that God appeared to them. And that was a Mizbech. A Mizbech was not a place of sacrifice, or not yet a place of sacrifice, but it was a place which, which, which we des designated an event. Something happened. And we designated it by a, uh, a Mizbech. And even though God could appear to people any place in Eretz Kenan, it was noteworthy to the Avot. The Avot felt it was important to, uh, to make some way of recognizing the place that God orig originally appeared to B'nai Israel. So you see that Yaakov and Avraham had certain similarities. Those similarities are connected to the place called Shechem. Shechem is connected to the ongoing argument that we have internally about who we are and what we should be doing and, and what's, which parts of Eretz Israel are, 
are really real and which parts uh, could be uh, abandoned if only temporarily, right? We have this, this argument and the, the, the difficulty with the argument is that everybody is so sure of themselves that there really isn't much to talk about. And that's always uh, bad, at least in my, uh, my opinion. I think it's always better if you could have a conversation than if you can't have a conversation. But who am I to say? All the best. So.